Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 13, verses 18 through 25. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25. It's been a long journey, but we have finally reached the conclusion of the wonderful, challenging, theologically rich, Holy Spirit-inspired letter to the Hebrews. Now, next week, we're going to begin a four-part series in our Christmas devotional, The Seventh Birthday. If you have not yet picked up a copy of that, uh, Lori, I believe there's some copies in the lobby still, and you can pick one up on your way out today. Um, Each week, how we're going to do this is I'm going to preach from one of the readings for the following week. So each Sunday, you're going to get a little bit of a preview of what you're going to be reading the following week. So we'll begin that next Sunday. Just be aware of that. But let's return now to our discussion of Hebrews. From this book, we have learned many things, but the primary theme all throughout this book has been Jesus is better, right? Right? He's a better messenger than the angels. He's a better mediator than Moses. He is a better priest than Aaron. He is a better sacrifice than bulls and goats. And he is the author of a new and better covenant, the covenant of grace, the same covenant that you and I live under today as followers of Jesus Christ. In the final verses of this book, the writer of Hebrews shares his closing thoughts with his readers. And for our purposes, I've organized these closing thoughts into four categories. First, in verses 18 and 19, the author makes a request of the Hebrews. Second, in verses 20 through 21, the author issues a prayer for the Hebrews. Third, in verse 22, the author makes an appeal to the Hebrews. And then finally, in verses 23 through 25, the author states his farewell to the Hebrews. Now, it's very easy when we read passages of Scripture, such as the one we'll look at today, to skip past them in our mind, to think, well, this is just some perfunctory closing words. There's nothing of real substance here, and so we just kind of read through it real quick and go on. But when we do that, I would submit to you we miss out, because the truth is that these words at the end of the book are just as inspired by the Holy Spirit as the words at the beginning of the book or in the middle of the book. So I'd like us to take a fresh look at these words this morning. And in order to help us do that, I want you to do me a favor, and that's this. As you read these verses today, put yourself in the shoes of the Hebrews. In other words, don't just engage these verses as though you're on the outside looking in at what the writer is saying to his readers, but Rather, pretend that the writer is talking directly to you. And in a sense, he is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The fact is, if you've been here for this series, you've worked your way through this letter, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, just like the original readers. So what the writer says to them here at the conclusion of this book is really just as practical and relevant to you. So let's pretend this morning as we read this passage that the author is talking directly to us. And if we can do that, I believe these words will be very meaningful. 
Let's begin by seeing what request that the author makes of us. And we find that in verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, but I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. For the writer of this letter, the prayers of the Hebrews were what he cherished above all else. The verb tense in the original language suggests that this could also be translated as keep praying for us. Very likely the Hebrews already were praying for him, and so he's encouraging them here to keep up the good work. And what exactly did he want them to pray? We see this hinted at in the remainder of verses 18 and 19. There are two things listed here in these verses. First, the author mentions that while he does have a good conscience, he desires to live honorably. So he's basically saying here, I have no unconfessed sin in my life of which I'm aware, but please pray for me that I will continue to live honorably for Christ. And boy, we all need that prayer, don't we? This is why Jesus in his model prayer taught us to ask the Father to keep us from temptation. That should be a prayer that constantly comes from our lips. I am persuaded that anyone is capable of any sin if we allow ourselves to stray from fellowship with God. In other words, none of us can look at another person and say, I would never do that. I don't believe that. Any of us are capable of anything if we stray from fellowship with God. None of us is above anything. And so prayers for holiness are always a good idea for all of us, that God would keep us from temptation. Second in verse 19, the author urges the Hebrews to pray that he may be restored to them, that he may get to see them again soon. Now, we don't know the exact circumstance that the author is in here. Why can't he come see the Hebrews? Is he sick? Is he in prison? Has God just not opened that door for whatever reason? We don't know. But the point is that the author misses them and he desires to be restored to them. Now, when we started reading these verses today, I asked you, put yourselves in the shoes of the Hebrews. Pretend that the writer is speaking directly to you as the recipient of this letter. Obviously, that breaks down a little bit right here because we can't pray directly for him. He's in heaven now. He's been there a long time and we're not even 100% sure who he is, as you know. But here's the application I'd like you to take from these verses. And that is to simply pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for your small group leaders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your ministry staff. Pray for your pastors. As someone once said, we need the prayer and you need the practice. Make praying for your leaders a regular part of your devotional life. And I know that God will bless you for that and he will bless the church for that. And you may ask, what specifically should I pray? Well, pray what we see right here in the text. Pray that your leaders would honor Christ in our conduct and in our behavior. Pray that God would keep us from sin and from temptation. And second, pray that God would restore us to the church. Not necessarily physically, as in the case of the author, but pray that God would keep our hearts linked to the church, 
that we would have an affection and a passion for the church that would continually draw us back to minister to the people of God, that we might endure in the ministry. So that's the author's request, that the Hebrews would pray for him, pray for his team, or perhaps more accurately, keep praying. In fact, it says he urges them to do this, a very strong word in the Greek. He urges them to do this. All right, let's move on now because not only does the author request prayer for himself, but he also has a prayer to offer on behalf of this church or for this church. So let's read that in verses 20 through 21. He goes from requesting prayer now to praying himself. Here's his prayer. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the prayer that we see in this text. I'm just going to summarize it in a sentence. May God complete his good work in you through Jesus. In this prayer that the writer of Hebrews offers for his readers, I believe that we find the very heart of this entire book that we've spent this year studying. What's the author been saying to us all throughout this letter? Essentially this, you and I cannot earn our righteousness by following the law, no matter how hard we try. But rather we must put our faith in Jesus Christ, our great high priest, acknowledging his sacrifice on the cross as the once and for all payment for our sin, believing in his resurrection and trusting God to do a saving work in us through Jesus that we cannot do for ourselves. That's the message of Hebrews. That's the author's prayer for his original readers, and that's his prayer for us. That God, through the blood of the covenant, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, might make us complete in every good work to do his will, to do what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ for his glory. This is a good reminder to us. It is not we who save ourselves for our own glory. It is God who saves us through Jesus for his glory. 2 Timothy 1 echoes this, saying, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that awesome? Dear Christian, I would just ask you today, are you living life for your own pleasure or are you living life for the glory of God? We are saved to glorify him. That is the author's prayer for us, that we would do exactly that. If you're here today and you claim to be a Christian, but you're not living your life for the glory of God, that is to say that there's unconfessed, unrepentant sin that you know is in your life, I would plead with you to repent of your sin. And to come back to your heavenly father. He will welcome you with open arms. And he will empower you to live in such a way as to bring him glory. May God complete his good work in you through Jesus. 
Now let's keep reading now. Let's look at verse 22. This is where we find the appeal. He says, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Here's the appeal. If we are going to summarize it, just this. Listen to the word. Listen to the word. The author of Hebrews appeals to his readers here at the end of his letter to bear with the word of exhortation that he has written to them in this book. Exhortation meaning an admonishment, a challenge. The very fact that the author uses a term such as bear with, or some translations say suffer, suggests that some of what he's had to say in this book has been difficult for the Hebrews to hear. For example, I think specifically about the five warning passages that we looked at throughout this series in which the author really challenged the Hebrews to examine their own heart, whether or not their faith was real. Do you remember some of the statements that we found in those warning passages? Statements such as this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And this, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Or how about this? If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. Those kinds of statements are not warm and fuzzy. They're difficult to hear. I think that's part of what he's referring to here. I think also about the many passages in this book that challenge the Hebrews' traditions of what they've been taught their entire lives about the old covenant. We all know how hard it is for any of us to to part with tradition, especially in the case of the Hebrews, traditions that defined their people for thousands of years. But you know what? We need to be challenged sometimes. We need to be exhorted It's good for us to get our toes stepped on from time to time. If the gospel never makes us uncomfortable, we probably aren't taking it seriously enough. So the question becomes, when the word of God confronts my sin, when it challenges my traditions, how do I respond? Do I ignore it? Do I rationalize it away? Or do I receive it humbly in obedience? The author of Hebrews is telling us in verse 22, this letter, he's telling us, this letter that you've been studying for the past year, please bear with it. Even though some of it's hard to hear, receive it humbly. Receive it with an open heart. Receive it with obedience. And then he says this, and this cracks me up because it's so like a preacher. I only used a few words. It's like me with my kids on the way home from church sometimes. Dad, that was a long sermon. It was only a few words. What are you talking about? In other words, he says, I didn't write a long letter, so you should be able to read and process and obey what I've written. But all kidding aside, the application here for us is that we would submit ourselves fully to the Word of God. Not just the book of Hebrews, but all of Scripture. For all of Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Very simply, the Holy Spirit is telling us today, listen to the word. Bear with it. Receive it with an open heart and God will use it to conform you to the image of Jesus. Finally, we have the author's farewell. Here are our last three verses in this series. Verses 23 through 25. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. In this farewell, I think we see two components, greetings and grace. Greetings and grace. Oftentimes at the end of the New Testament epistles, we see the writers pass along greetings from others who are traveling with them. And in return, they ask the recipients of the letter to extend greetings to other believers in their fellowship. And that's what we see in these verses. The author tells the Hebrews that Timothy, Paul's protege, has been set free. Again, we're not sure exactly what that refers to there. Apparently, Timothy was in jail at some point. But in verse 24, the author asked the Hebrew church to greet those who rule over them, presumably speaking of their pastors there. So he's saying, hey, say your, tell your pastors hi for us. He also sends them greetings from the saints, the believers in Italy, which gives us a, a clue as to where this letter is originating from. But I think the main takeaway from little exchanges like this, where it's like, hey, tell so-and-so hi, uh, is just a reminder that we as Christians are part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're part of the family of God, and that family extends all around the world in various locations, in various denominations. We're connected to our brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus. And so it's important to remember that. It's important to pray for one another. It's important that we support one another, that we encourage one another, that we cooperate with one another for the spread of the gospel, and yes, that we celebrate with one another. We're not in competition with other churches and with other Christians. When God does good things in those places, we need to celebrate that because we're all joined into one body. And then the last note of this sermon series is a very fitting one. It all ends with grace. In verse 25, the author closes his letter by saying, grace be with you all. Why is that so fitting? First of all, because it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation ultimately is all about grace. It is about the grace of God in granting saving faith to us to believe in Jesus Christ. But even more specifically, the book of Hebrews is about grace. We cannot be saved by following the law. We cannot be saved by adhering to the old covenant. No matter how hard we try, Jesus has come. Jesus is better. Jesus has instituted a new covenant, a covenant of grace, whereby anyone who repents of their sin and believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Grace is truly an amazing 
thing. By its definition, it is an undeserved thing. It is a precious thing. And God's grace is available to you today. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about Jesus. That's the message of Hebrews. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about our goodness, how closely we can follow the law. It's about grace and through that grace, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day of worship. I thank you, Lord, for your saints that have gathered here today because they love you and because they love one another and because they love your word and they desire the truth of your word. Lord, thank you for this wonderful book that we've walked through together over the course of the last year and the many things it's taught us. And Lord, we know that you've used it to shape us and mold us and and grow us in our faith. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I I know so many times our growth, we don't even recognize it when it's happening. But God, we have confidence and assurance that every time we sit underneath your word, it does not return void. It accomplishes your purpose. And so we thank you for that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they might come right now, that they might commit their life to Jesus. And Lord, that all of us would be reminded that we cannot earn our salvation. We can't hold our salvation by our own good works. It's all about your grace. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.